You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, One Person Watching, recorded on June seventeenth, two 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. My name is Mike, if you didn't already know that. We are in our penultimate sermon on 1 Timothy. Penultimate. That means next to last. I learned that in college. Took five years at Penn State to get a four-year degree and figure out how to say penultimate. I also know other big words like quintessential. This is the next to last. This week and then next week. This is our Father's Day weekend. This sermon will have nothing to do with Father's Day. Uh, because we're on our penultimate with Timothy. And I think the fathers who've been here for the last several years will run me out on a rail if we don't finish First Timothy. So we're going to do that. We're going to do that. But before I do, I want to update you guys on our next initiative. For those who've just come in the last four weeks and have never been to this church, our next initiative is an attempt to fuel and resource the ministry of Harvest Community Church, which you guys always do anyway, very well. Um, but we wanted to up that so we could uh, stretch a little farther. Now, I'm not going to repeat all the things that go into that because we had a four-week sermon series on that and they're all online. But that next initiative had as its goal for all of us to work together to raise our budget to $4 million over two years. Where normally we would have projected to be about 2.2 or 2.3 million over two years. Now numbers are coming. Warning, numbers are coming. When I listen to people give numbers, I get lost very fast. Who's with me? So I'm going to try to keep it as simple as possible. Over the next two years, we were looking to raise $4 million for ministry. That includes the tithe we would have you and I would have tithed anyway, plus whatever extra. So we had pledge cards. And all of us who pledged were about two-thirds of our regular givers. So one-third of our regular giving people said, I might give, they'll probably continue to give, they probably won't change their habits, but they just didn't fill out a card. Or they didn't fill out a card yet. By the way, if that's you and you're saying, I meant to fill out a card, I just haven't got around to it, you still can. Talk to your campus pastor, usher, welcome person, anyone you want, and say, give me one of those cards, I forgot about it. But whether they fill them out or not, one-third of our faithful givers didn't fill them out. So two-thirds did. You with me? So far, I haven't lost any one of those numbers. Okay, so now here's the big numbers. Of our $4 million two-year goal, we have pledged by the people who filled out cards about $2.7 million. okay? So that means we most, that leaves $1.3 <laughs> to get us to our goal. Now, if you factor in um, the, the 2.7 and you factor in the one-third of the people who haven't communicated a pledge at all, but just assuming they, they don't die or get raptured before the rest of us or something, um, <laughs> we can count on, on that plus any increase. All that to say this, 
your generous faith, and I know it's a step of faith because you don't know what God's going to do with your finances over the next two years, um, but with that step of faith, believe it or not, getting 2.7 pledged really puts us on target to hit the goal. If we'll all, if God provides for us and then we, as God provides, we keep our pledges we're going to make it, I think. We're, we're at least in good shape to start out. So I want to thank all of you for joining me. Um, and, and let us stay in prayer because the goal isn't to raise money. The goal is to reach more people with the gospel, have more people come to know Christ um, in our towns and neighborhoods especially, but at times when we can anywhere in the world. Um, so thank you. And that's your your update, if, if those numbers confused you, it wouldn't shock me, even though there are only a few, because when I listen to numbers, I get lost. Feel free to um, ask any pastor. Well, they might be lost, too. You can email me, or <laughs> and I'll try to say exactly the same thing again. Um, now let's get into our text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 to 16. 1 Timothy 6, 11 to 16 is our penultimate text. To confess the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. In other words, to say, today I receive Christ as my Savior. Or I, I choose to follow Christ. Or please baptize me, I repent of my sins. Or, um, you know, I'm ready to convert. Or however you want to say, you've decided to go from not knowing Christ to following Christ. That is step one of a very long journey. It is, it is not like changing your hair color. You change your hair color, and then you don't do anything, right? I guess you've got to maintain it. I don't know. I've never changed my hair color. It changes all by itself, but very, very slowly. Um, it, it, it's not like buying a house. You know, didn't have the house. Now I have the house. You know, it's not like changing your name. Name used to be Pete. Now it's Jim. It, it's not something you just do once, and then it is. Rather, it's the first step of a trip, a journey. If you were going to Philadelphia on foot, first don't. Not only because it's a long walk, but you'll end up in Philadelphia. And really, who wants that? Um, but if you were, it will begin with the first step. The longest journey begins with the first step. And to become a Christian is to take a step on a journey, not to be a thing, right? I think that's often a very confusing thing for people. They think, well, what am I? You're asked on government forms, what am I? P for Protestant, C for Catholic, N for nun, um, and the nuns are rising all the time, or maybe now there's M for Muslim, or um, O for Oprah follower, or whatever, and you think... (laughs) It's a very static thing, but that's not the Christian life. The Bible puts a Christian life as a journey. So you have a day one, and then that journey goes somewhere. It's kind of exciting to think about your life as an adventure with Christ because that's what it is. But you don't know what's coming, but you still follow. Now, unfortunately, not everyone who starts the journey finishes it. In other words, they choose to leave the path They say, I see Jesus going up there, but I'm going to go that way. And I'm not coming back. And you wonder why. Well, how come all the people I start this race with don't finish this race? Well, the answer really is when you choose to follow Jesus, he does a miracle in you. You are born again. You're made brand new. 
If you choose to follow him and you have what could be called saving faith, to have faith is to keep faith. You will keep following no matter what. But those who really seem to choose him but aren't really changed within, they will peel off one way or the other. But God requires us to put effort at keeping the faith. And Paul is going to remind Timothy of that in our verses today. So let's read the verses. Um, we have 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, six verses. <laughs> um, and, 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 uh, and really there's two commands in them, or one two-part command, and we'll just take that apart. So here we go. First Corinthians, or excuse me, First Timothy 6, 11. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. He means uh, the, the, the sins and temptations that take false teachers away. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. There's a lot that we could unpack, and we're not going to. We're going to try to look at the big picture, right? Paul has two, really a two-part commandment here working together. Timothy, I've written you this letter, told you how to handle the church. This is the halftime speech, or, you know, this is go get them. So, command one, strive towards Jesus with great effort over the course of your entire life. That's me wording differently what Paul said. Strive towards Jesus. He, he doesn't say you're saved, so that's good. Hang out and be saved. He says strive, and I'm going to show you that. Run toward, the, actually, the, 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 the verbs he uses are very active. They're very, um, they move. Like flee, flee these sins that other people fall into, right? Pursue. Look at verse 11 again. But as for you, O man of God, flee, run away. Pursue, run after righteousness, run after godliness, run after faith, run after love. And do you ever feel as a Christian that your faith is weak? You might be, yeah, well, don't sit there like a victim waiting for faith to overtake you. Put your running shoes on and go get it. Run after gentleness. It's a language of movement. It's a language of effort. It's a language you would give to, to someone who's, who's pushing a very heavy weight. Run from one thing, run to another. Run from greed, pursue righteousness. Do you remember Joseph with Potiphar's wife? Remember that story? You got this young man who God has got his hand on and he's finally getting somewhere in life. He's been sold as a slave, but he's the slave of a rich guy and he's given a lot of opportunity of, in the household of a guy named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife is a little bit loose. She's a little bit, 
sleazy, you know. Um, <laughs> that's just the way it is. And she sees this young man, and, and she wants to have him visit her in um, her boudoir. Um, that's French, okay? I don't know any French, but I see some kids in my eyesight. I don't want to get too graphic here, but um, he won't visit her in her boudoir because he doesn't want to sin against God. And one day, when no one's around, she says, come here. And he foolishly comes towards her, and she grabs hold of him, and he runs away because he doesn't want to sin against God. And she grabs his clothes, and they come off and he runs away in his underwear and the next thing you know he's in jail falsely accused i'm not saying it always ends well but <laughs> that's the picture right flee flee what's wrong run after righteousness think about your christian life does it have this active movement or right now do you find yourself being passive and wondering why it's hard to live for christ so you're gonna have to do something to live for Christ. You've got to move, right? And then look at, the, look at the language. I just read it to you, but let's look a little closer here. Verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. That's violent. That's violent. Fight! You know, it's generally not good to get into fights and beat people up. Um, but men like to fight. Men like to fight. If they don't want to fight, they want to watch other people fight. Men like war. They like. They don't want to say it, but they do. That's why they go to war movies. You know? All of us men want to look civilized in front of all you women, so we act like we don't like to fight. We don't like to get beat up, but if we could always win, we we wouldn't mind it so much. And we watch our, our we like to watch Bruce Willis because he's us killing people that we would kill if we were heroes. And and you're saying men are really like that. Yes, this is why don't yell at us for loving sports more than most women. Some women love sports as much, and some men don't. But sports allows men to do war without killing each other. We have our little countries <laughs> with their little flags, and we fight every Sunday, baby. Listen to music on the NFL network. You get these horns blasting. It's like you could go to war to this music, right? Shields coming up. Dun, dun, dun. They're not doing that for you ladies. I don't, we may live in this egalitarian time. It's for us men. But seriously, we don't want to hurt people. But men and women, you're called to fight. To embrace conflict. What kind? The fight of faith. That's the language he's using. Take hold. Grab it. Of the eternal life. I have eternal life. Yeah, well grab it, baby. Don't let it go. Get eternal life in a doggone headlock. (laughs) To which you were called. You don't see a passive faith in Paul, do you? It's not, well, I... I prayed to receive Christ once 20 years ago, and I guess I'll go to church, and I guess that's what I do, and then that's it. That isn't, that isn't Christian. There's going to be a lot of people like that who on the judgment day are going to hear, get away from me, I never knew you. Because you thought just praying a prayer and sitting still had something to do with being a Christian, and it doesn't. You've got to fight. You've got to take hold. Of the eternal life to which you were called, about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Living for Jesus is not a game. It's a fight. Christianity is spiritually violent. It requires you to disagree 
with a, a, a world going the other way and yet still love people. You think that's not a fight? It's easy to be disagreeable if you don't have to love anybody. Just be a jerk. Right? You go to New Jersey, live there a couple years, get some training, come back, be a jerk to everybody. Remember when Jacob wrestled with God? Jacob, many years before Christ, he, he wrestled with God. He, he was actually on his way to see his brother, who he had conned and stolen. Like almost everything valuable this man had, he stole. And he hadn't seen him in 14 years or 20, whatever it was, over 14. But nevertheless, he's coming home. Mom's dead. Dad's dead. No one's there to save him. <laughs> he's coming home and his brother's coming with a big army. And he's scared he's going to die. So he lays down. He can't sleep. He's praying. You ever been so scared you can't sleep? And you pray and God shows up as an angel and starts to fight him. How awesome is that? Say, like, get up. And they just start to fight. And, and Jacob won't give up. He can't beat the angel. The angel's got God's strength. But he fights him all night long, saying, you've got to bless me. It's not, he's not, he's not saying, I just don't have enough. He's saying, if you don't bless me, if you're not on my side, <laughs> he's like, if God is on my side, my brother can't kill me. You're not getting away from me, God. And he fights him all night long. And in the end, God says, okay, enough of this. Puts his finger on his hip, dislocates it, which had to hurt. Said he limped the rest of his life. But then God changed his name to Israel, which means strives with God. And it was a good thing. Do you strive with God? Do you fight to keep him in your life? How many people give up as soon as the match starts? Paul is saying to Timothy, son, did you hear that bell? Yes, okay, the, the round has begun. Get in there. You see, when you put your faith in Christ, did you realize you quit one team and joined its enemy? Did you know that? You used to be under the domain of the devil, whether you knew him, believed he existed or not. And now you join God's side. Now the whole world spirit, the zeitgeist, the way people think, and the devil and your own flesh are against you because you switch teams. You know, people, they'll, they'll say, well, I want to be a Christian. Then they go to school or work or wherever they go, and they find out that some of the things the Bible teaches causes people to misjudge them, to say you're a hater, or they'll, they'll hate them, and they'll say, I must not be doing Christianity right. Or they'll say things like, they'll start to act like they're better than all the other Christians. Well, I like to think of myself as a Christian, but I'm not like those people. I'm a little more enlightened. What they really are is disillusioned because they didn't realize they joined a fight. Christianity is not for cowards. <laughs> to follow the truth is going to put you opposing the devil and the world and your flesh at every turn. And you, and you have to fight. It's like God picks you up and throws you in a ring. Says, go get him, son. <laughs> what are you going to do? Even finding him takes effort. 
Jeremiah 29, has a verse we've all heard, but if we look closely enough at it, he says this, you'll seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see the effort put into this? Now that's not just when you first get saved. God called at your heart when you first got saved. He, he, called you, he called you in maybe with a love song. Or some of you, he called you in through pain. He called you somehow. And you came and it was wonderful. Is that it? No, you have to keep seeking him with all your heart. And he says, I will be found by you. When you seek me with all your heart. If you sit around like a toad and wonder what happened to your Christian life, the answer is you sat around like a toad. It's not in the Bible, but if I wrote a book of the Bible, I'd have toads in it. In Luke, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's every day be willing to die. I'd like you to take up an instrument of execution every day. I mean, I had a good day of chasing after you, God. I'm going to bed now. I'll see you in the morning. And you get up. He's like, okay. (laughs) Deny myself. Get back into the fight. Yep. To stick with the fighting motif, to come to Christ is really like surrendering. Right? You surrender. You yield. If If you were in a war and you surrendered to the other guys, do you know how many choices you have now? You have as many as the other guys will allow. Because <laughs> you surrendered. I, I surrendered I'd like to not be killed. It's up to them. I surrendered I'd like to eat. It's up to them. I surrendered I'd like to not be tortured. It's up to them. Could we avoid the salt mines? It's up to them. Will you start coming to God by surrendering? I'm not fighting you anymore, God. I'm on your team. I repent of my sin. I turn over my life to you. But what he does is says, okay, I'm adopting you into my family. Like, good, I'm a son or a daughter. Yeah, but it's not the only thing you are. He says, I'm also enlisting you in my army. You're now a soldier. Like, I never wanted to be a soldier. You don't get to choose. You surrendered. You're a soldier. You're like, well, I'm wimpy. I can't fight. Have you seen how much stomach fat I have? I mean, I can't can't run to to the back of this building without breathing hard. And I might be talking about myself. Maybe. Well, it's not that kind of fighting. But you're going to have to fight. Do you ever see yourself as a soldier? Christian, you are in a war. You are a soldier. This is a war. If you thought you're always supposed to be happy, you made a mistake. You signed up for the wrong team. Why is it so hard? Because you're in a fight. Well, how should I handle that? Get out of the fight. No, fight. What does Paul say in 2 Timothy? I don't know. Well, I'll tell you. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier. Of Christ Jesus. My dad was in Vietnam twice. And he wasn't somewhere in the back lines. I don't like it if he was, but he wasn't. 
He was right in front where people were shooting bullets and he was shooting bullets and people were getting killed and he was killing people and you had to live in hot, hot weather and the fatigues were not, that's the clothes weren't as good as they are today and your C-rations actually had metal cans you had to carry them around and bugs would bite you and people would try to kill you dead. Do you think you're allowed to whine? No. You're in the army, son. (laughs) Fight. Paul calls on the same language here. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. When you became a Christian, you did not join a passive group. You took the first step of a journey where you are a soldier and you have work to do. You have somewhere to go, somewhere to be, and it's going to take effort. Is that your Christian life? Is it? You know, an idle, an idle mind is the devil's workshop, the old-timers used to say. We shouldn't lose what the old-timers used to say because there's wisdom in it. Your Christian life may fail because you, you never saw it having anything to do. You just sit there. What should be life's greatest ambition? Finish faithfully the christian should have as his ambition or her ambition is that last breath out still saying jesus that's your life's ambition and between this breath and that breath just stay the course run the race and that's a successful life absolutely is God will take care of the in-between if that's your goal. I've been a Christian for 35 years now. 35 years. 34 and a half. 35, actually I think I got saved 1983 plus a week. Around then. I'm still here. A lot of ups, a lot of downs. A lot of me trying to figure it out. A lot of mistakes, but I'm still fighting. I'm still running. How much longer do I get? Could be 30 more. Well, if it's 30 more, I just want to die faithful. That's it. It's my ambition in life. That's it. I want to be able to say I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And what could throw us off course? Anything can throw us off course. Jesus once told this story. He said, a man gave a great banquet and he invited lots of folks. Actually, he says many, but that means lots of folks. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant and says to those who've been invited, come on, everything is ready. But they all began to make excuses. They knew they were supposed to go to the banquet. They knew they were supposed to follow Christ. They've been taught that in VBS as children. But they've been busy. Well, now God sends someone says, come on now. And they said, well, I bought a field. I need to go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, well, I bought five yoke of oxen and I need to go examine them. Please have me excused. Another one said, I married a wife. Therefore, I I can't come. That woman's nothing but trouble. (laughs) No, it doesn't say that part. I don't know why his wife won't... 
That's, you know, this guy's a fool. You tell your wife, let's go to a banquet, and she sees a date, she's going to get dressed and go. But So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The servant said, sir, we did that. There's still room. The master said, then go out again to the highways, hedges, and compel people to come in, for my house will be full. I'll tell you, none of the men who were invited will taste my banquet. What the point of the story is God is the one who has the banquet. And he sends out his son to invite you to come. You hear it and go, yeah, maybe one of these days. I'm busy with business. I'm busy with my wife. I'm busy with, oh, what the heck. They're going on the road. Someone said, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus said, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, and the man doesn't, doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. You sure you're going to follow me? You may end up in a hole. Oh, no. To another, he said, follow me. And the guy said, let me first go bury my father. Jesus said, let him bury himself. As for you, you go and proclaim the word of God, the kingdom of God. And to another, he said, said to him, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at home. And he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You can use almost any excuse not to follow Jesus. Christians, are you getting the point? The Christian life is first you surrender, then you run the race. How measure yourself? Is that where you're at? Is that how you look at it? Second part of the command, he says, embrace the charge to strive towards Jesus. Because if the first half is strive towards him, what's it is? He says things like fight the fight, pursue, and all that stuff. He says, embrace this charge to strive towards Jesus because, he gives him a reason to do it. Well, why do I want to live a life striving? I go back to being an Oprah person. You don't have to do much, and you might get a car. I got one giggle out of that. You guys are not watching enough Oprah or you would have understood that joke. He gives a reason why and the reason is the audience. He says, you're running. I'm running the Christian race. I'm living for Jesus because there's a prize. I get a prize. I get a prize. It's better than a Cracker Jack box. Just dated myself. For you youngsters, it's better than an Easter egg you didn't expect. God is the prize, and he's the prize giver. Run because of the audience. Back to our text. Watch him say this. He says, I charge you, I give you this charge in the presence of God, who gives life to all things, and of Christ, who is in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach. That's your charge until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he'll display at the proper time, who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and the eternal glory or eternal dominion. Sorry. Amen. He says, I give you this charge because of God's godness. 
Keep the commandment unstained until the appearing of the Lord. That's, that's the charge. The Lord is coming back. But what's the audience? The presence of God. And then he describes the audience. He starts with Jesus. He says, the audience who hurt... When you showed up and said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to believe you. And I don't, you may have said, I surrender all to Billy Graham thing, or you, 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 your mom or dad could have led you to Christ, or you're going to come to Christ wherever. There was an audience. <laughs> and you think it was the people around you. It wasn't. It was Jesus. The charge, the charge was keep the commandment unstained until the appearing of Christ. You see, that's a very active thing to do. You're going you're gonna to walk with Christ till he comes back, okay? I'm like, I thought I was just praying to receive him into my heart. Well, let's fill in the blanks of what that is. Jesus was listening to you. He goes, okay, I hear you. You're going to keep the commandment unstained until I get back. Good. And the first person in the audience is Jesus before Pilate. He's your example. Pilate entered the headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate said, Am I a Jew? Your own nation, your own priests have delivered you over. What have you done wrong? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world... My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over. But my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate said, so, you are a king? Jesus said, you say I'm a king. For this purpose, I was born. For this purpose, I came into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate says, what is truth? There's your picture. Jesus before Pilate. He knows why he exists on earth. He's made it to the end of his race and he's not going to stumble now. He knew he came to redeem the world. Jesus did not die by accident. Some people think, well, if I go back in time, maybe I could prevent this great injustice. Don't prevent it. He came for that reason. He came to shed his blood that he may purchase with his blood me and you, sinners. He came to shed his blood because God was angry at all the sin of mankind that had ever happened before Jesus and ever would happen and all the sins that every individual did, including you, including me. God was angry. And instead of dooming you and I to hell, he poured his anger out on his own innocent son. Jesus knew that's why he was there. He said, I'm up to my 33rd year. I came from heaven 33 years ago. I'm standing before you now, Pilate, and you think you're going to pick a fight with me? You got another thing coming. This is why I'm here, to take away the anger of my father at the human race. I'm not turning back now. <laughs> my people would fight if it was time to turn. It ain't that time. And he died, and he satisfied God's anger. And that's why you are saved, if you're saved. Because he ran the race. He took hold of eternal life. He fled 
sin and pursued goodness. And he never gave up. He fought the devil and won. And that's how you got saved. And that is who Paul points out is in your audience when you pledged. And he had to return. (laughs) Verse 14 says, you charged in his presence to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord, which he will display. Jesus stuck to his purpose. Remember, Peter came up to Jesus when he was telling him, Jesus said, look, I'm gonna have to die. (laughs) And Peter's like, no, no, you should never die, Lord. Far be it from you to die. Jesus looked him in the eye and said, get behind me, Satan. It's for this purpose I came, to die. But he knew it didn't end there. He knew on the third day he'd rise. He knew he had to get to the cross, get to the grave, get up, get to heaven. And then he knew he would return to bring his kingdom to earth, stop all wars, pains, crimes, sadness, sorrow, raise up his people who believe in him, clean and holy, raise up the wicked and judge them for their deeds. He knew that was his purpose. Now look what happens here. Listen, as a man, he was faithful before he got up from the cross or the grave because when he got up in the grave, he had a glorified body, one that can't die, one that can't sin. Not that he ever did sin, but he has one that can't, right? He's a glorified body like you'll have. Before that, he lived a life just like you but without sin, He had to get to that cross, and he did. Now, he had to be faithful to that day. Now he says to you and I, you guys be faithful in your bodies till the day I come back. Just like I was faithful till I got to the cross, you be faithful till I come back. And some of you are going to die before that happens. Well, then be faithful to then. You don't have to make it that far. Just go ahead and die. But be faithful. He lived with purpose, knowing that his life would end at a cross. We live with purpose, knowing that our life ends in glory. Right? Happiest day of a Christian's life is the day he dies. Not happy for the people left behind. And when Jesus comes in the sky, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. (laughs) But he will come in the sky with a shout. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first and those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the air. We are to be faithful to glory. He was faithful to the cross. So then he says, he who is blessed and only sovereign, king of kings, lord of lords. This could be the son as well as the father, but this is the father. Every leader thinks himself great. He is not. We had two of the biggest egos in the history of our time or in our contemporary time meeting in Korea. And I'm thankful they did or in Singapore. I hope a good thing comes of Little Rocket Man and, and Trump getting together. You know, I want good things to happen. I'm very happy that they talked instead of fought. But they both are pretty sure they're great. Little Rocket Man, his father was a god, and his father was a god. That's what they teach everybody. Gods are dropping like flies, apparently, in North Korea. And he's a third little god. But that's all right. Because Trump could make Korea great again, too. And then Putin's over there with his shirt off, riding horses. says, I can take all y'all folks. That's okay, because the premier of China says, I got 1.5 billion people, and I'm taking everything. And then there's the dude in Canada with an eyebrow, eyebrow that falls off. I don't know anything about that guy. 
But I know all of them think they're pretty important. And maybe in a sense they are. But they don't last long. They're here and they're gone. There's only one true king of all kings, one true Lord of all lords. God will raise up each leader of every tribe, of every village, of every nation that's ever been. He will raise them up on the last day. Some of them will know him as Savior. Most of them will not. He will inspect their works and he will call them to account and they will know they were never kings. At best, they were princes. He's a king. Who will, verse 16, who alone has immortality. There's life in no one else. I just heard this thing that there was a, 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 a I don't know, New York Times, somewhere, Atlantic, some, some reputable paper um, that, <laughs> that had a study that showed the people most afraid of death are, are people, are Buddhists and, and Hindus. Pe- people who think we become nothing when it's all said and done. Buddhists. They sit around meditating all the time on death and they're afraid of it because they become nothing. (laughs) Well, you could be like some of the rich people in America if you're afraid of death as a Buddhist has become very rich and freeze your body. Right? I heard Walt Disney still froze. Is that true? And, And Ted Williams is supposed to be froze somewhere. You know, they're cryogenically frozen. You know somebody probably left the plug out and thawed them out once or twice. They went, don't tell anybody, and they plug them back in. Because they're waiting for someone to cure their disease so they can live forever. And then you've got a lot of rich people who, no kidding, are, are investing their money in, in how to make cells reproduce as good as they used to be so they'll never die. And it ain't going to work. And then you've got Jane Fonda who just keeps stretching skin. I don't know how she does it. I'm telling you, she's going to pop one day. All her skin will be so stretched. Everything inside is just going to go. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> powder is going to come up and she's going to just go <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> like there'll be some. I thought she was 20, but. Jesus says, who do you say I am? Peter said, you're the son of God. You're the only one with the words of eternal life. And he was right. If you want eternal life, you're not going to find it with Muhammad. He's dead. Buddha's dead. Sam Harris will be dead. Oprah will be dead. L. Ron Hubbard is dead. Tom Cruise is alive, but he'll die. I don't care who you put your faith in. None of them can give you eternal life. Except God through his son. Who dwells in unapproachable light. Whom no one has ever seen or can see. What am I supposed to say as a preacher about that? How can I describe something you've never seen and I've never seen or can see? You must say, how can we not see God? You see, he became man so we could see Jesus. And therefore we did see God in that sense. But this flesh cannot see God as he is. We'd be destroyed. Heck, you couldn't even see the sun if you stood too close to it. How are you going to see the God who made a million sons? To him be honor and eternal dominion. And here's what Paul is saying to Timothy. You promised to follow Jesus and stay on the path to him. That's who you made your charge in front of. Who you make a promise to matters, right? 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 
Little kids will promise almost anything to one another. <laughs> Don't know if they'll keep them promises. Young men in the heat of passion have promised quite a bit to young ladies. And you can't count on that one. Heck, people will promise things and have lawyers write it up, put it on paper, then they still won't keep it. Who do you would you promise to that you wouldn't break that promise? Heck, before God and these people, how many times has my mouth said that? Before God and these people, I, so-and-so, take you. Just say it. Before God and these people. They're not thinking for God and these people. Before the one who dwells in unapproachable light, I commit. Who's watching you run your race? You worried about what the pastor thinks? I, I meet them all the time. I'll run into people and I'll be like, hey, you doing good. I haven't seen you in a while. What they normally think I mean is you haven't been in church. It's not what I mean. You know what I mean? Exactly what I said. I just haven't seen you. I figured you went to a church with a more likable pastor. There's plenty of them. That's always my guess. I'm not kidding. I always think, well, they must have found a nicer guy. I don't blame you. I might not go to church I'm pastor at, but then I wouldn't be the pastor. But they always thinking. I know, I should have been in church. I haven't been in church. I got to get back to church. I'm like, I didn't say that. Who's watching you run your race? Your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your, your dead relatives can be watching you run your race. Whoever's in your noggin is watching you run your race. Well, you know what? None of those people matter, including me. There's only one person you should concern yourself with. God. Jesus is your only audience. We all care what others think. And that helps us be a little socially presentable. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I mean, I dress like this, worrying about what you think. Imagine if I didn't worry. I mean, it would be really bad. But if it's anyone but Jesus, it's time to change your allegiance. You might say, well, I don't know Jesus. Listen, if the sun sets you free... You're free indeed. He died to take away the anger of God towards you. Determine you'll surrender to him. As a young man, fear of man dominated my life. That's just true. Now you can call it low self-esteem. That's a nice name for fear of man because that's what it is. Right? Did you know that? Every time you think you have a low self-esteem, throw that psychobabble word out and say, I'm afraid of what people think of me because that's the truth. You can call it self-consciousness. Call it anything you want. You're afraid of people. Afraid of what they think. My life was dominated by that. And then Jesus came. I was almost 20. He put me in, in the consciousness that only he matters. I'm not saying I never struggled with, not, with thinking that mankind was my audience again. I, far from it. But all of a sudden it hit me. None of them mattered except him. He, he needs to applaud when I'm done. I don't really, or at least not crush me. <laughs> you know. And his life has gone on, I would say my entire life, 
has been an episode, ups and downs, good and bad, of him teaching me how to stop being afraid of what people think and be very concerned with him. Jesus says this, have no fear of them, Matthew 10. It's not going to pop up anywhere. You're going to have to listen. (laughs) Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be made known. Don't be afraid of people. They're all a bunch of sinners. And you'll see it when the sun comes and exposes all the people's sins, including yours. And you'll think, why did I care what she thought? Oh my gosh. I had no idea. But they'll say the same about you. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. Jesus said, what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Don't fear body killers. How how many of your life is taken up with being afraid of someone killing you? Or a disease killing you? Or killing your kids who aren't in your sight? Stop it. You want to be afraid? Be afraid of the one who can kill your body and throw your soul in hell. The one who sees everything. An audience of one. Fear him. Next time you're telling a lie, don't worry if your wife will find out. Worry if God will find out. And by the way, he found out. Next time you're about to steal, lose your temper, give someone the finger, don't be afraid of the people in the other car. Be afraid of God. Next time you're about to declare Jesus Christ, you're going to stand on truth and lose your job. You're going to do the right thing no matter what your friend says. Don't be afraid of any of them. Be afraid of God. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Don't fear people. You need this to run the race. You need this. In a society that increasingly says anyone who does not endorse gay marriage is a hater and a homophobe. My friends, that idea is not only on the rise, it will increase till it completely envelops every single human. You're not going to have a majority of non-Christians or even a small minority who think you're right. And you'll have a lot of Christians who sell out. And you can pick your doctrines (laughs) that Jesus is the only way that Jesus is the only way you uptight Christians that sin really is sin well if you're afraid of people you ain't gonna make it you will not make it well we all fear people we all do let's be honest so it's not a matter of instantly only thinking what Jesus thinks. It's a matter of constantly reminding yourself, the Holy Spirit is in me. God, what do you want? Give me courage to face my fear. 
And that's the whole Christian life. But it requires something. (laughs) So here's your one practical application, Christian. It requires something that the old-timers called practicing the presence of Jesus Christ. It's literally reminding yourself at every moment that Jesus is sitting next to you. Even though he's not, he's in you and all around you. But it's easier. When you go to sin, you don't say, Jesus, I curse you. You say, Jesus, could you not look while I lie? (laughs) Could you not look while I steal? Could you not look while I give the finger or whatever your sin is? Because I know you still like me. Just don't look for a moment. Stop doing that. And when you're afraid, Jesus is right here. When you're stressed, last week's sermon, Jesus is right here in the stress. Reminding yourself that you have an audience that heard you make the pledge and it's Jesus. If I promised to get my brother a glass of water, I'd get him a glass of water. But if a lot of stuff came up, I might not get him a glass of water and come back later and say, I know I promised, but it's just a glass of water. If the President of the United States asked me to get him a glass of water, any president, just because it's the most important man in our country, I would, you could, my foot could break on the way. I'm going to get that glass of water to that person because of the value of the person I promised in front of. You promised to follow Jesus until your last breath. He loves you. He's not mean. He died for you. He counts your hairs. He counts your hairs. I don't want to know the number of hairs I got. Heck, just the hairs in my nose scare me. They're turning gray. They turn gray. They turn gray. You're driving down the road and you think, I got something on my nose. Oh, it's the hair in my nose. I'm telling this to the younger men. It's going to happen. And then you're like picking them out and you're crying. You're driving on the road. You think, I hope they don't think because you're fearing man or picking my nose. I'm really, I'm not picking my nose. I'm pulling the hairs out and you're crying. <laughs> God knows how many hairs. And he, he says, listen, his whole point is a hair won't fall from your body without me caring. I'm that awesome. Not me, him. That's the one I promised in front of. He's the one who loves me the most. He's the one who's most powerful. That's why I'm going. And I'm taking my wife with me. And if she says, all of a sudden, ah, forget this. Tom Cruise is right. I'm going with John Travolta and Tom Cruise. I'm going to cry and I'm going to miss her. And if my kids say, we thought it was cool when you brainwashed us as children. Now we don't think so. I'm going to miss them, but I'm, I only have one person to please. Right? This is what Paul's telling to Timothy. I charge you in his presence. This is what God says to me and you. Are you ready to take the charge? Are you ready to set your goal in life to get to your last breath saying, Jesus is Lord? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. 
For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.